Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Central and welcome to Uganda. Um, right now, I am at Project Hope, which is one of our strategic ministry partners at their location here in Uganda. Uh, this week, I've been here with a couple of other church members checking out the place and, and seeing um, what the future looks like with our partnership. And so it's been an incredible week and I can't wait to share some of the, the awesome things that God has done already this week. Um, so if you're actually watching this, uh, something's happened. We were supposed to fly in late Saturday evening and we wanted to go ahead and shoot this video just in case uh, our flights got delayed or something like that. And so I don't know what's happened, uh, but here we are uh, today. And we're gonna have an opportunity to continue our final final week of our series that we're calling um, On the Witness Stand, looking at true Christianity on trial. And so I wanna invite you to turn to 1 John chapter five. And, and while you're doing that, I'll just say, there's bugs everywhere, um, winds blowing, you got birds and ants and bugs. I don't know, there's lots of stuff going on around me, but uh, we're just going to do our best uh, right now uh, to be able to just bring you God's word and just to share what God has put on my heart as we close out um, this series. So, you know, First John uh, chapter 5 is, is the last, it's the last part of his letter. It's the end. Um, and this is actually the end of our series. And if you're thinking about a trial, any good ending to a trial has closing arguments. And so that's what an attorney does is attorney will look at the jury and say, hey, let me recap for you everything that we've been talking about. In fact, that's what I'd like to do right now. Um, I'd like to look back the last couple of weeks and to see where we've been. So we've every week we've looked at an argument that the world has leveled against Christianity. And then we looked at John's response to that argument. And so the, the first week, the response, uh, the, the argument that the world has is that, you know, Jesus really isn't who the Bible says he is. And John says, no, 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 the Bible is actually very trustworthy because the people that wrote these things were actually eyewitnesses to the events. And so that evidence proves that the, who the Bible, who Jesus is, is actually who the Bible says um, that he is. The second week we looked at this next argument, which was, you know, God doesn't exist. And you actually can't prove that he does exist. And John says, you know what? Um, that's fine, but I can prove that he does exist. He is real. And he's not real just because the Bible says he's real, but there's also great evidence that God is real. The Bible says that, and John says that he is light. God is light. And what he means by that is that there's this moral standard in the world that God has set up. And everybody has that in their heart. They have this moral code that was given to them by their creator. And so we know the difference between right and wrong, just instinctively all around the world. Everybody does, everybody knows that and has that inside of them. And it's a great evidence that God is real. And then the final week or last week, Noah preached a great sermon. Thank you, Noah, for, for being there and filling in. Um, did a fantastic job of, of sharing uh, this next, this third part of, of the series. And the argument was, was this, that, okay, there may be a God, but he sure isn't good. In fact, I'd say that he might be kind of evil. The world says that the world looks around everybody looks around and sees all the devastation and the injustice and uh the people perishing and little kids suffering and they say you know what if there's a god out there he's not good and he's probably kind of bad and john says no god is good and the reason he is good is because of his character and his character is revealed in his love for us and the way that he loved us was by sending jesus and so we shouldn't judge the goodness of God based off of the a fallen world around us. We should judge his, his goodness 
based on his love for us. And God loves us so much. And so that was a great argument for the validity of scripture and the goodness of God. Um, and so we're going to look at the final accusation today. And the accusation is not going to come from the world. It's actually going to come um, from Satan himself. You see, because Satan's a deceiver. Um, he's not just deceptive, but he is the number one deceiver. And he wants to fake light. Um, just like God has light, Satan wants to masquerade like an angel of light. And he wants to create this moral standard in people's lives. And he has to lie and deceive and cheat and steal to be able to, to do that. And he's been doing that for a really long time. And Satan has this one main accusation that I'd like for us to look at today. And here's, the, here's what it is. Satan says this, you know, God didn't really say, whatever that is, God didn't really say that. I mean, think about it. He's been talking about that since the very beginning. You look back in Genesis when Adam and Eve were created and they began to walk in the garden and God says, here are the, the rules um, and it's going to go great for you. And all of a sudden Satan comes into the picture and says, God didn't really say that. God didn't really say that you can't eat from that tree. Like God doesn't know what he's talking about. It'd be fine. Go and do it. We all know what happened um, because of that. And Satan's been doing that for a really long time. Look in the Old Testament when the Hebrew people were um, in the wilderness and, and God had led them out of Egypt and they're wandering around and Satan began to just prick into their minds this idea. You know, God didn't really say that he was going to be there for you protect you and provide for you. You need to find something else to protect and provide for you. And so they built this golden calf and started worshiping it. And you're like, man, that's crazy. Why would they do something like that? Well, they did that because Satan began to entice them with this false narrative. And even you go into the, the church age and into the New Testament, and you see that Satan was even trying to infiltrate the church with these ideas like, you know, you know, the Gentiles, God didn't really say that the Gentiles could be saved. You know, it's, it's only the Jewish people and Gentiles are separate or God didn't really say that you don't have to follow the law, the Old Testament law to, to be saved or to, to make yourself right with God. That's not actually what he said. And he began to put these false narratives, these false teachings, these false prophets into the church. And pretty much the whole New Testament, the rest of the New Testament is actually them refuting that and, and trying to, to tell us and teach people the truth. Well, today, Satan is still doing his, his old song and dance. He's saying the same thing. Here's what he says. He says, you know, God didn't really say that Jesus is the way. That's not, that's not, that's not really what God said. God didn't really say that Jesus is, is actually God. God didn't really say that he's truly sinless or that he really died for you or that God didn't really say that he will accept you. You know how messed up you are? God would never love you because of who you are and what you've done. Satan loves to put those lies um, into, into all of us. And so what John is going to do today is he's going to give this, this final evidence um, and he's going to save, honestly, I think the best for last because what John's going to do is he's going to actually invite God himself up onto the witness stand. And so if you have your Bibles in uh, chapter five of 1 John, we're going to look starting in verses uh, six um, through eight. And here's, here's what um, the Bible says as I shoo this, this bug away from the camera. Okay, here we go. So here's what it says. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water and the blood, and all three agree. Now, I don't know about you, but that's really confusing. I mean, I'm looking at that. I'm like, what in the world is that actually talking about? Are we 
got water, you got blood, you got the spirit. What is John talking about? Well, I think what he's talking about is really two important events that actually um, happened in Jesus's life. There's these two bookend events that really change everything. And they're incredible evidence for Jesus and what he has done. So let's look at those real quick. The first one is the water. What is he talking about when John says the water is, is testimony or evidence for Jesus? What he's talking about is, is Jesus' baptism. You see, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was baptized and all four gospels record it. But I want to look at Mark chapter one. Here's what Mark chapter one, verses nine through 11 says. It says that, get that bug out of the way. There we go. Okay. It says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. And as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you're my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy or I am well pleased with you. Now, in the story, if you look at some of the other gospels um, and their recollection of it, uh, John really didn't want to do this. I mean, John was going around and he was, he was, um, he was doing a baptism of repentance and he knew that Jesus didn't need to repent of anything. He was per perfect and spotless. And so John's like, I don't want to baptize you. If anything, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, cousin, I need to do this. And he was, there, was, there were cousins. He said, no, I need to do this. And you think about why in the world would Jesus need to be baptized? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I got some illustrations I think will help us to understand why Jesus was baptized. So if you go to a, a track meet and you're watching the, the contestants, the athletes about to start the race, they get in their blocks and they're ready to go. And there's a guy on the side that always says, ready, set. And then he holds up a, a, a starter pistol and he, he shoots that off. And that when that starter pistol goes off, it, it, it tells those runners that, hey, it's time to begin the race. And I think this is exactly what's happening right here, that Jesus began his ministry right after he got baptized. It was the beginning of his ministry. So it was the, it was the, the gun going off and the start um, to, to that ministry. But also think about this. When you're having a conversation with someone, what are some great techniques to having effective conversation? Some of us aren't very good at having conversations. We're, we're thinking about other things. We don't know what to say. Um, but this week we're, we're in Uganda and we're talking to people and locals and uh, people here at the ministry. And, and so we're asking them questions, you know, tell me about your family and what you like to do. And they tell us about their family and they talk about their kids. And, and I say, oh man, I've got, I've got two teenagers as well. And then they're talking about the, some of the activities and things they love to do. And I'm like, man, I, I love to do that, you know, as well. Well, what are we doing? We're, what we're doing is we're building common ground, things that, that we understand um, together, experiences that we've had together. And that's a great way to build a relationship. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing, that he didn't need to be baptized, but he wanted to be baptized because he wanted to build that common ground with us, us as ugly sinners. Jesus wanted to relate to us. And so when we think about being baptized, we're like, man, Jesus did that himself. He understands me. And so I think it's one of the reasons why Jesus was baptized. But I would say the most important reason why Jesus was actually uh, baptized is because of who actually showed up at the baptism. So if you're having a party at your house and all of a sudden, you know, Taylor Swift and Donald Trump and uh, LeBron James show up at, at your party, it's going to be epic, right? I mean, everybody there is going to remember that for the rest of their lives. And you're going to be live streaming it. And you're going to be putting on social media. Um, you're going to be taking pictures. And everywhere you go the rest of your life, you're going to tell people um, about that event. Well, those are some credible people. But at Jesus's bapti baptism, the people that showed up were even better than that. 
you see, the Bible says, I don't know if you caught this and when we were reading that out of Mark chapter one, it says that God himself, the father showed up, the son showed up and the Holy Spirit showed up. What's happening here is that the Trinity shows up all in one place, which is pretty incredible. Now the Trinity is something that's very confusing. It's talking about who God is and um, it's a concept that we have in Christianity to try to define God. Um, the Bible teaches that the Father is God, that the Son is God, that the Holy Spirit is God. And at the same time, there's only one God. And you're like, how in the world can that actually happen? Well, first off, we aren't capable of knowing God. You know, we're not capable of understanding his ways and his mind. But also, here's the truth. God is, is one. He is one. But he's also in three persons. He's one God, but he's in three persons that have that each have specific functions and roles. And I was thinking about this. Do you know what the roles are of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, the Father, he's the author of life, right? And he has this divine plan that he has planned. Um, and he sends out. And one of the people he sends out <coughs> is his son. He sends out his son. And the son is the agent of creation. The son, the son is the one who gets things done. Um, he is also the agent of salvation. And then you have the, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin. The Holy Spirit draws people to the Son. And the Holy Spirit empowers people to do God's work. And so when John mentions that, that Jesus, uh, mentions Jesus' baptism as this great evidence for who Jesus is, what he's talking about is the nature of God, who he is. And God is, is the Trinity. And, and think about this, John's baptism, it's, it's this beautiful description of the Trinity and the Trinity's function. So at the, at the baptism, what's going on? You have the father who he sends his son and he, he approves of his son and he blesses his son. And then the son actually begins his ministry of, of salvation. And then the Holy Spirit empowers the son to do the work. All three of them are working together. And what John is saying, he's saying, this is who God is. Um, he is the Father, He is the Son, um, and He is the Holy Spirit. And it has been confirmed by evidence that Jesus is the Son. It's great evidence for the gospel. Now, let's also look at verses um, 7 and 8. So if your Bibles turn back to verses 7 and 8, here's what it, here's what it says. It says, um, so we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, um, and the blood, and all three agree. So we've looked at the spirit and the water, but we need to look at the, the blood. It's another great evidence um, for Jesus and who he is. And the blood, when John's talking about that, he's actually talking about Jesus's sacrifice. Now, I'm not going to go deep into Jesus' sacrifice, but, but what he's talking about is that the, his sacrifice represents Jesus's his death. In, in the Old Test Testament, you had this sacrificial system that was set up by God. And the way it worked is that sin could not be covered over unless there was innocent blood spilled. And then you move into the New Testament and Jesus fulfills all that. He actually is that innocent blood. He's the innocent lamb that died. And all four gospels uh, record the, the crucifixion and the cross and what happened. And so when, when, G, when John is talking about the blood, what he's talking about not, is not just the, the nature of God. He's actually talking about the, the nurture of God. Not just who God is, but what he does, the nurture of God. 
when you think about this, when you shed your blood, what you're literally doing is, is you are giving of yourself, something of yourself, it's pouring out. And that's exactly what God has done for us. It's his nurture, it's what he did. And John says, this is not just an idea, this is actual evidence of what has happened. When we first got to Uganda, uh, this driver, these two guys, Ugandans, they, they pick us up in this little small SUV and there's, there's three of us um, on the trip. And so you had three guys, Americans, and you had uh, two Ugandans and we're trying to fit all of our luggage. And we had these four big tubs and, and our suitcases trying to fit in the back of this, this small SUV. And it took us a while. We're putting the, the bags this way and the, the boxes this way and the tubs and we're moving things around. And it's like a jigsaw puzzle and it was not working. And finally, we're able to fit everything in just, just perfectly where we could barely close close the door. And I was thinking about that. This, this is kind of what John is saying. This is, this is a puzzle piece. And, and all of these puzzle pieces fit perfectly as a whole to show that Jesus really is who the Bible says he is. So, so, so for us and for you, when, when Satan puts that doubt in you and says, you know what? God didn't really say that he'll accept you. God didn't really say that Jesus is the only way. What this text actually shows is that no, Jesus is God. He, he is God himself. He's not, just a, he's not a lesser God, but he's actually God um, in this, this very specific function to be the agent of salvation. That's his, his nature. And this very same God died for you. He loves you so much. And that is, that is his nurture. So yes, the Bible's saying Jesus is a really big deal. John's gonna go on in this, chapter five and, and say, you know what? We believe human testimony, right? When someone gives a testimony, we're like, man, that's actually what happened. And so we ask this question. So why do we not believe in God's testimony? If we believe in human testimony, why would we not believe God's testimony? Because he's saying this is what God's testimony is of himself. Is he not more trustworthy than we are? And the truth is he is way more trustworthy than we are. And then he says this in verses 11 and 12. Y'all look at it with me. He says this, and this is what God has testified. So, hey, this is the testimony. Let me share it with you. He says this, he has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. And whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Y'all hear that? The, the rooster behind me? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, so what is he saying here? Well, he's saying that the evidence is really clear that God really did say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The only way to be made right with God. God's testimony is that, that salvation is in no one else. That's pretty awesome. And he shows it and he proves it with some evidence. He says, because of the water, like at, at Jesus' baptism, you got to really see that Jesus is God himself. He's a part of the Trinity. And you also got to see that the evidence of, of his blood, Jesus, God himself, the one and only sinless, spotless lamb, he actually died for us. And those two realities they demand something. They cause every single person to do something. They demand a response. I mean, every single person has got to decide what they're gonna do with Jesus and this information. I think there's four responses that you can take today. The first one is this, if, if you're a believer in Jesus, you know, there's a hallelujah response. The, the, when, we, when we say hallelujah, like what, what does that mean? Well, hallelujah means thank you. And it's, it's this, attitude of praise. We're saying, God, I, I trusted in you a long time ago. I put my faith in you. You saved me. And I just want to say, look at all this evidence. I just want to say, thank you. I want to praise you. I want to hallelujah. And I think that's what 
a response, a great response that many of us can take today. And a part of that response can be to just a recommitment of your life. Maybe you've been walking away from God a little bit. Maybe you've kind of been distant and now you're saying, you know what, this is real, this is true. I need to be serious about this and I need to recommit my life to him. Maybe that's your response today. Here's another response. You know what, you could say no. You could look at this evidence and this evidence demands a response and you can say, no thanks, you can reject it. You can say, you know what, I think I'm gonna try this on my own. That's something you have every right to do. But I will say this, that's a very dangerous response. Jesus has provided this opportunity and gift. And he asks you to accept it, but you can say no. Here's another response that you can you make today. You can say, well, well, maybe. You can say, you know what, Clayton, I, I still got some questions about all this. And that's honest and that's true and that's okay. In fact, I welcome that. If you'd say, you know what, I'm just not sure about all this. I'm still thinking about, about, about all of it and weighing the evidence, that's fine. Here's what I would ask you to do. I'd ask you to pray. I'd ask you to, to pray and ask God to, as the Holy Spirit, to reveal his son, God's son to you, reveal Jesus to you and the truthfulness of the scriptures. I pray that you convict your heart. I pray that he would soften your heart, um, that you would accept Jesus. In fact, that's the, the last response that you can make. Maybe it's a, the response of yes, that you would say, you know what? I'm a, I want to receive that forgiveness. Maybe God has been working on your heart. Maybe you have been saying maybe for a really long time. And today you're saying for the very first time, I want to accept Jesus. I look at this evidence. I want to put my faith in that because Jesus really is who the Bible says he is. We're gonna give you an opportunity at the end of our service for you to make that decision and say yes to Jesus for the very first time. But before we do that, I wanna to go to the, this last verse, which is verse 13. So I invite you to, to read it with me. Here's what John says. He says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What he's saying is I've written this so that you can have hope. What he's saying is, he's saying, I've written this to you so that you have a reason to believe. And more specifically for all of us, it's so that we have a reason to believe in something bigger than ourselves. The Bible says you can't cut it. And the truth is, is that you aren't good enough to save yourself. And if we were to put you on trial right now, we asked you to come up on stage and we looked at your life, would we be able to say, you know what? you're able to pay for your sins. The truth is, is you couldn't. You're messed up just like I am messed up. We don't qualify to pay for our sins, but there is a God, a sinless, spotless lamb who died for you, who can pay for your sins. And that's what this is all about. The gospel is this, God has done all the work and he asks you to respond. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the message that you've given us over the last several weeks, all this evidence to prove that Jesus is really who the Bible says he is, that he is the son of God. He is the spotless lamb who died for us. And I pray that today might be the day of salvation for someone. That they would trust in Jesus to pay for their sins for the very first time. And for all of us who'd say, you know, we are believers. I pray that today might be a day of of a newfound faith where we can say all over again, I trust you for the very first time again, God. I'm, I'm putting my faith back in you and I want that vibrant relationship again. I'm recommitting my life to you. 
God, thank you so much that you don't just call us to have blind faith. You give us so much evidence to have a robust faith, a reason to believe. So thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we wanna just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what? I want to know more about Christ. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And I, I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, we want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, and that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.